Welcome to An Amber A Day, the podcast all about functional nutrition for PCOS. I'm Amber Fisher, a certified nutrition specialist and licensed dietitian nutritionist, and I have training in functional medicine. I also have PCOS, and on this podcast, we discuss PCOS in depth, the nutrition strategies for it, as well as the realities of living with it and making this lifestyle work. For further guidance and meal plan support, you can check out the show notes for links to my PCOS courses and programs. And if this podcast helps you, please do me a favor and leave me a review. Thank you so much for being here. Let's get into today's episode. Hello, 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 and welcome back to another episode of An Amber a Day, the Functional Nutrition Podcast. I am your host, Amber Fisher. And this is the podcast all about women's health, fertility, autoimmunity, PCOS, hormone imbalances. We cover it all. If it's a women's health issue, we're probably covering it. Um, Today, I'm going to continue my series talking about the different types of PCOS. And today, I really want to talk about the three kind of main types that I see in practice um, and how they can sometimes be combined or overlap and what my different sort of dietary strategies are there. Okay, so I'm going to pop this in here. Um, I'm recording this after I finish this episode, actually. I ended up talking for a solid 40 minutes about just the first type of PCOS um, and my diet strategies there. So I'm actually going to separate these podcasts into a series of three. So if you are here to listen to the insulin resistant type um, stuff, then you're in the right place. If you only want information about the inflammation type um, PCOS or the adrenal type, then stay tuned. Those videos are coming out in the coming weeks. Now, just a caveat before I get going, because I feel this is important for me to say as I'm starting to get into more sort of diet advice type stuff, that this is all really for informational purposes. Um, you know, everyone's unique individual and I don't as a whole, I mean, the entire idea of what I do as a functional nutritionist is not to put people in boxes. So I'm not advocating for, you know, everybody with this type of PCOS needs to eat this way. Um, but more just that if you know what your type is or your combo of types, you can kind of get an idea for what the, maybe the, some of the deeper issues are. And I want to give you some tools to figure out if you have some of those deeper issues that you maybe suspect are going on, how you might move and change the way that you're eating to kind of address that because, you know, there's no one size fits all, uh, but there's definitely some things that, you know, maybe aren't the best idea for certain types of PCOS and some things that are better ideas. So that's what we're going to kind of talk about in today's podcast. Um, so those of you who are new to listening to an Amber a day, um, this is a podcast I've been doing since 2018. And, um, over the years I have taken the first, you know, 10 minutes or so of the podcast to just kind of update everybody who listens on what's going on with me and everything. So if you're just here for the health content, you might want to skip ahead, but if you care about me and what's going on in my life, uh, we're going to talk about that now. So, um, you know, this week, What's going on is that uh, I have been working really hard on um, my other podcast, Filming. We just filmed today another couple of episodes of Advice We Need. So Advice We Need is a podcast that I do with my friend Jenny Angela, who lives on a beautiful idyllic island in Croatia. Um, and her and I have been chatting a lot over the last few days about... Um, 
me taking a trip there. So that's exciting. So obviously we're going to wait for all the COVID um, stuff to calm down a bit and, um, you know, for, for borders to open back up between countries and everything. But Daniel and I were, we're kind of talking about making a, a nice, um, trip over there at some point, taking Calvin to see a little bit of the world. And, um, her and I are really excited to maybe potentially, get to hang out in person because we're so close. We talk like every day. Um, but, you know, it would be lovely to hang out in person, get some photo shoots done for the podcast, get some episodes recorded in person. We just think that would be really fun. So, um, so yeah, we're talking about that. So that's exciting. But if you've never listened to Advice We Need and you're curious what it is, it's it's a podcast that's kind of a combo of a an advice column and like health advice and, and, um, relationship advice. So Jen is a therapist and she kind of specializes in different relational issues. And then I, of course, am a, a nutritionist. So we take both of our kind of combined expertise and we sort of combine it into this podcast where we have listeners who submit questions. And, um, from those questions, we like, we answer them on air. And, uh, a lot of the questions, in fact, all of the questions really we answer kind of off the cuff. So we get, we, we do read the questions before the podcast starts, but we, um, we don't really know how we're going to respond to them necessarily until we're actually like in the moment. And it's not like official, you know, um, boring advice or anything like that. We also put in like the advice that we would give a friend, you know, so especially me, because a lot of the questions are more relationship oriented than health oriented. I'm giving my advice as a person, like what I would say to this person. And, um, and yeah, and you know, we're not trying to be like shoving things down people's throats. We're just really trying to like open up the conversation about topics and, and talk about things that people don't normally talk about and, um, and have fun doing it. So I think it's a really fun podcast. We have a great time recording it. So if that's something that sounds fun to you, you can find that on all the platforms that's called advice we need. And and there's also an Instagram profile that we have for it that you can follow to like stay up to date when we put new episodes, they come out every Thursday. Um, so that's, that's been a lot of, a lot of my work. I've also been still working on that conference that, that I told you guys about that, um, certification that I'm, I'm working through over the next few years. And I'm in the middle of my first conference for that. And I have until May to complete it. And, um, it's a five day conference. But I'm on day three just because um, with the practice and everything, it gets very, very difficult to get things done. And that's, you know, one of my frustrations right now is that I'm so grateful to be so busy right now. Um, and to, you know, a lot of you who are listening are probably, you know, new um, new listeners. I've had a lot of uh, new kind of people join on to like following me on my different, you know, social media platforms and to listening to the podcast. And I'm super excited about that. It's great to feel like I'm getting the message out to people who like really um, are interested in it. And so thank you for being here. Um, but one of the things that's been a little bit tough over the last few weeks is just that I've gotten significantly more um, packed in my schedule and my very careful balance of all the different things that I did is getting a little bit out of whack. So I, um, I do have some time off books in April and that's, I'm looking forward to that to hopefully be able to clear my head and just work on, work on the PCOS, um, group coaching class. If I haven't mentioned that in depth before, I think it's a, it's a good time to mention that on this podcast because most of you listening are, are interested in PCOS. Um, so here's the deal. 
I am a private practitioner. I do work one-on-one with nutrition clients, but, um, you know, I'm somewhat limited with that in the sense that there's only so many people I can take on at a time. And, you know, that's a good problem to have as a practitioner, right? But it's hard for me because I got into this work to help as many people as I possibly can. But I have come to the realization over the years that Nobody benefits when I'm overworked, you know, because my memory's not as sharp and, and all that. So I'm really careful about my schedule. I'm really careful about not, about trying not to pack it too full. I don't always succeed with it, right? But, um, I'm really careful about trying to give my clients my full undivided attention, trying not to take on too many new people at, at a time so that I can focus on the people who are already clients, you know, that's really, really important to me. Um, that's something that I have seen, you know, other mentors of mine in the past, maybe not do the best job with. And I, you know, really want to be better than, than that. And I've, I've not done the best job with it in the past. And I want to, you know, do the best possible job I can with that. So with that said, I'm limited on how many people I can see at a time, you know, how many people can be on one person's caseload at a time before they start forgetting things. Um, and have to take like copious notes to remember stuff. See, I don't, I don't like to be like that. I have a really good memory and I like to rely on my memory and I like to rely on my intuition a lot. And so, um, you know, I just, I have to have space, right? To, to think. So because of that, um, and because of the kind of, interest that I've been getting in, in one-to-one consultations lately, you know, it's been awesome, but I've also been having to turn some people away or I, my waiting list is getting kind of long. Like I think at the moment, the waiting list to get a new appointment with me is stretching into late April, which is longer than I would like because, you know, that, I mean, I understand that that's frustrating, you know, when you really want some help and you're like anxious to get it and then you have to wait until like a month or two months. Like that's a long time to wait, you know? Um, so I get that. And so with that said, all of this is just to say that because of that problem, I'm trying to increase my reach in other ways. I'm trying to work on things that long term will free me up to, um, help more people at once. So one of the things that I'm, I'm working on is this group coaching class for PCOS where I'm going to have, um, I'm not totally sure how it's going to look yet, but, but what I'm kind of thinking is having women, um, in, you know, these like smaller groups and possibly having them even divided by like what type they most identify with or what, you know, what collection of types they most identify with. I'm not totally sure how that would work yet, but at least if nothing else, kind of a smaller group, not sure how small we're looking. Um, and a lot depends on who would sign up for the first one. You know, the first ones are always kind of small cohorts anyway, but so a smaller group, uh, but, an, but at the same time, more than one-on-one, right? So I would be kind of you would have a, a a class that you're going through that that and that's what I'm working on now is all the modules for the class, and it would be kind of like you know maybe go at your own pace but sort of directed as far as like we would have like weekly meetings about different topics to kind of keep you on track to to do um, question and answer sessions things like that so you would get to interact with me it wouldn't be like in one to one consulting where you know you and I are like in touch constantly. It would be more like we have these weekly sessions where you can kind of ask some questions. It does have to be in group coaching. It does have to be a little bit, a little bit more general than it would be one-on-one, right? Because I can't, um, I can't do the whole deal of one-to-one coaching in a group setting. Um, 
But I think it would be perfect for women who are, you know, newly diagnosed with PCOS or have been dealing with PCOS issues for a long time and maybe don't have the budget to do one-to-one consulting, but still want to get a deeper perspective on what they're going through and kind of like figure out what a good, um, a good like lifestyle type plan is for them or how, you know, they can best lose weight and all that. And I think it would be a good opportunity for, you know, women with PCOS to also try a few things, figure out what doesn't work. And then they can also see if like, okay, you know, I'm really going to need more assistance. So, um, so it'll kind of help you decide, I guess, if you can handle this kind of stuff and make good enough changes for yourself, you know, in this sort of setting, or if maybe you need to go the one-to-one counseling route in the future. Um, but I'm excited about it. I think it's going to be a really good class. And, you know, knowing myself, I'm going to overdo it as I always do. I'll probably put too much information in there. So if you're like, you know, but, but that said, like a lot of you who listen to me, that's what you like. You know, you like somebody to give you all the details. You like somebody who gives you lots of information. That's how I am. And that's why I'm always like saying, you know, going on rants and saying this, this and that, because, um, I always resented when people tried to simplify things too much or dumb it down, you know? Um, so anyway, so I, as a practitioner here, I'm working on the best way to get this information across so that it's practical, it's feasible. There's going to be meal plans with it. Um, there's going to be, uh, like, you know, um, there's going to be instructions. It's going to be very practical, like implementation based program. There's also going to be supplement protocols with it. Um, and so that'll be cool too, because there's a lot that I can do with supplements that, you know, maybe I can't do with just diet alone. So, um, anyway, I'm talking about that on this one because, you know, you guys who are listening are interested in PCOS and all that. And, um, so that might be something that you're interested in. And if you are, I just want to give a little shout out that I am putting together a, um, an interest list for it. So I've already got several women on there and thank you to those of you who, who added your name, but if you'd like to be added to the interest list for it, it doesn't obligate you to, you know, sign up for the program. It's just, you know, you giving me your email so that when I know when it's going to come out and you know what it's going to look like and everything and how much it's going to cost and all that, I can give you the information. So, um, if you want to be added to that, all you have to do is let me know. There's lots of different ways to let me know. I'm not picky. You know, you can email the podcast and Amber Day Podcast at gmail.com. You can email my um my practice email, which is Amber Fisher Nutrition at gmail.com. Um, one of the best ways to to do it would just be to DM me on Instagram, Amber Fisher Nutritionist. Um so yeah, and there'd be links to all that stuff in the little description box. And if you're listening to this, you probably already follow me on Instagram or something like that. So just find me on there, send me a DM, say, Hey, add me to the list, put your email and I'll add you to the list. Okay. Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG. And we are the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. That's enough of that. Let's get into today's topic. So today what we are talking about are the different types of PCOS and and kind of how I like to approach them with diet. 
So, you know, we, the, if you haven't listened to the podcast where I go into the four different types, I'd recommend starting there because that's where I give the overview of, of what the different types are and kind of some, you know, signs of them and all that. So I'm going to assume you already know that stuff moving forward here. But um, the, the general diet strategies for the first type, and I'll say this, the vast majority of the women I work with one-on-one are a combo of the first and second type. Um, and I honestly have, you know, an opinion. <laughs> My opinion is that most women with PCOS actually have more type 2 issues than they do anything else, um, especially if their PCOS is kind of like the severe type where it's really hard to treat. Like, I don't know if you've ever, you may have experienced this or you may have seen other people with PCOS and um, they... Yes, they have PCOS, but sometimes they all they kind of do is like just, you know, lose some weight or they start eating like low carb and all of a sudden their cycles just like come back right away or, you know, within a couple of months and it's like it seems very easy for them. There's a definitely a subtype of, of PCOS that can do that and that's usually type 1 people. People with insulin-resistant PCOS, um, if it's purely insulin resistance, you know, and the reasons for that are varied, like why that happens. Some of it's transgenerational epigenetics. Some of it's just like poor diet. Some of it's caused because of like excess weight or whatever. There are different reasons for it. Um, but if it's just purely insulin resistant it's, and it's not coming from a deeper gut issue, which insulin resistance can sometimes come from, to be fair, but if that's not what's going on here, a lot of times all that those women have to do is really cut back on carbs a bit. And it's like things start working, you know. Um, but my theory is that a lot of the women I work with actually have more type 2 issues. And sometimes they don't realize that they do. Um, and type 2 issues are inflammation-based issues, kind of gut-related issues. Um that's super, super common. So I spend a lot of time on diet strategies for that. And I have a whole protocol that I kind of like to go through, um, obviously changing it for the individual woman. But let's talk about if you're just insulin resistant type, right? Um, if you're only insulin resistant type, you don't have any of the symptoms of like the adrenal type or the inflammation type. Um, none of that stuff really sounds like you. Then um, oftentimes, this type of woman developed PCOS like a little bit later in life, um, maybe post children or post gaining some weight or something like that. Um, and really with when we're looking at insulin resistance purely on its own, the biggest thing to to figure out here is how to stop that insulin from getting out of control. So with PCOS, you're kind of like naturally inclined to making more insulin than you should. Um, so you're always going to have the propensity for that. So in order to kind of ac account for that, you do sort of have to eat differently than other people. And one of the ways we do this is by cutting back on carbohydrates. Now saying that, I know a lot of you are probably thinking, okay, so I need to go keto. And here's my hesitation with keto. It's not that it doesn't work. Because for insulin-resistant only type PCOS, it, it does often work. And I used to, early on in practice, do a lot of keto with women with PCOS um, and had some good success with it. There were some babies born because of that. Um, so it's not that it doesn't work. 
And I want to be really careful here because, you know, I know that there can be like, there's a lot of shaming both ways with that. Like there's shaming from people who are like, why aren't you doing keto? It's like God's gift to mankind. And there's people saying like, you know, if you're doing keto, you're crazy. You're not crazy. You're just trying to figure out what works, right? So with keto, um, it's not that it doesn't work. It's that I don't feel, and, and you know, most health professionals don't feel that it's a, it's a, good long-term strategy. And a lot of times what I hear about it is that it's not sustainable. And I actually think that that's kind of a poor way to talk about it because um, for some people it is sustainable, right? Like if if you're feeling better on it and and, and that's really important to you and your periods are, are working again and all that, like that might be sustainable for you. Uh, I know some people who, who have eaten keto for years. Um, the issue with keto is not sustainability to me. It's more an issue of long-term effects of low-carbohydrate diets. So low-carbohydrate diets, they're good for you in, in many different ways, but they're also bad for you in some ways. And the biggest way that they're bad for you is that they limit the amount of fiber that you're taking in and they limit the amount of um, different nutrients that you're getting in that sense. Your gut bacteria, which are really important to your overall health and your immune health, they feed off of fiber. They like break it down and um, the different gases that are created from that are like actually really important to your entire body's health. Um, Not only that, but fiber is really important for binding to old hormones and getting them out of the body. And so many women with PCOS also have estrogen dominance. Um, Super common. I just did a video about that today, actually, and I'm kind of working on a series on that on TikTok. Um, and we're going to do a podcast about estrogen dominance soon. I may have already done a podcast about that, so you might want to look backwards and see. But so many women with PCOS have estrogen dominance. So it's really important to, for us to pay attention to those excess hormones, right? Because if those hormones are getting recirculated, that's not good for us long term. Um, so yeah, so we might be like stopping our insulin from getting out of whack, and that might be helping in the short term. But long term, we may not be detoxing our old hormones properly, And so that can be damaging in the long term. There's also some evidence, too, that when people go off of low-carb diets, their insulin resistance is actually worse for a while um, because there's something about, like, eating carbs that helps you build a little bit of a tolerance to them, too, in some ways. Not going crazy, but in some ways. So what's the solution, right? We're here for solutions. So when I'm looking at just purely insulin-resistant PCOS, I sort of have a framework that I like to follow with diet. Um, I like to look at the plate, you know, and, and the way I do this in practice is I, I, I do people's macronutrients and then I also take into account calories and I take into account how much protein I want them having and, and all kinds of different things. So obviously I can't get that specific here because a lot of that's based on your metabolic rate and your health history and blah, 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 blah. But when we think about a plate for insulin resistant PCOS, the biggest components are protein, you want to have a good serving of protein, at least about three ounces at each meal. And um, that's important because that slows the release of insulin. And then you want to have fibrous veggies. So a lot of people get confused with fiber. They think that grains have a lot of fiber in them. In reality, grains don't actually have that much fiber. So you kind of want to avoid the grains. Like it's not necessarily a thing that you can't have them at all. I just count them in a, in the starch category. So um, so I'm looking at filling half the plate up with non-starchy vegetables. So these are, you know, your vegetables that nobody wants to eat. Your broccoli, cauliflower, um, Brussels sprouts, like leafy greens, 
uh, what else would go there? Asparagus, zucchini, squash, all that kind of stuff. Those are your non-starchy vegetables. You really want to focus on eating the rainbow here because a lot of women with PCOS have nutrient deficiencies, um, from years of poor eating, from years of, you know, digestive issues, whatever it may be. So eating the rainbow is really important, but also that carb count is like the thing that we're looking at the most. So there's no specific carb count per each meal that you need to stick to. Although I, I often recommend staying under 30 grams total per meal, if you have PCOS. Um, and I think that's a good general marker because if you're eating most of those 30 grams as non-starchy vegetables, then, you know, you're actually getting like, when you take fiber into account, your net carbs are, are fairly low, you know, um, but you're still getting good veggies, good, you know, nutrients and all that. So we want to fill up half the plate. And, and honestly, I know that they're carbs because they're veggies, but they are not going to impact your blood sugar. They are so good for you and so healthy for you. And even though they have carbs in them, it's it's different. It impacts your body differently because it has that fiber naturally in it. And no, you cannot just take fiber supplements. That does not replace eating them because there's something about the way that they're combined together in that natural product that's really important. So filling up the plate, so you've got like 25% of the plate is protein, half the plate is non-starchy vegetables, and then we're looking at the other 25% of the plate is um, uh, starches and, and your healthy fats. So sticking to fats, and this is true for all the types, sticking to healthy fats like avocado oil, olive oil, coconut oil, I like to just kind of rotate between those. Um if you tolerate dairy, you know, um, I haven't seen dairy to be a huge issue in insulin resistant PCOS if that's the only thing we're dealing with. But, um, a lot of women with PCOS do have food sensitivities, even if they're subtle. So, you know, usually I kind of recommend just being careful about dairy here, um, sticking to like aged cheeses, things like that, and only sticking to things that you know you tolerate well. Um, and so we we would have just a little bit of starch. Like we're talking like a quarter of a cup at each meal. So that would be like potatoes. Sweet potato would be great. Um, you could have some of your grains here. You know, quinoa is a good choice. Um, oats, rice. So those are um, beans and legumes would go here as well. Those would not count as veggies because they are more starchy. So you're looking at like, you know, a very small serving of, of carbs, carbs, um, but yet you're still able to have it. And that's the difference. I think with keto, it's, it's very restrictive in the sense that like you're taught to kind of avoid fruit. You're taught to avoid all grains completely, you know, or just like never really get to enjoy them. And then sometimes they even try to scare you into not eating vegetables, which is like a little bit ridiculous, and into eating a really high fat content. And th that's what I'll say about keto too, is that I have not seen the high fat keto work well for women with PCOS. And I've seen a lot of women come in to working with me who were doing um, keto and it wasn't working for them. So a lot of people come to me for the first time and they're like, I've been trying keto and I've been doing it right and it's not working. That's happened to me so many times. And it's a lot of times women with PCOS, and there's two reasons for it. Number one, I just don't think high fat works well for PCOS. I think it's kind of inflammatory. And um, it also is like they're kind of often eating too many calories for weight loss, to be fair. Like calories are not everything. 
They're definitely not everything, especially when you have insulin resistance, but they do still matter. Like you can't expect to eat, you know, um, 2000 calories and most of it being high fat. Um, and even though you're eating like, you know, low carb, you can't expect to lose weight that way. It just doesn't work. You still have to work within your metabolic rate. Um, so, so those, and then the other th- reason why the, uh, high fat often doesn't work is because oftentimes we're cooking with a lot of butter and, um, and that can be inflammatory in PCOS. It's a common food sensitivity. So those are kind of the three reasons why I don't see that working very often. Um, so my kind of approach to like a lower carb diet or a more ketogenic diet in PCOS is to do what I talked about before, slightly higher protein, um, slightly, you know, moderate fat, and then um, heavy on the non-starchy veggies and very, very light on the other types of carbs. That way we're still getting some of those beneficial nutrients, but not a lot. And you get to have it at like each meal. Um, and, and that's really the key with eating for insulin resistance is spreading your carbs out. So it's not so much whether you can have a certain number of carbs in a day, but what you don't want to do is say, uh, I'm going to eat 75 carb grams of carbs today and I'm going to eat them all at dinner. Like that's just a recipe for creating a big insulin swing. What you want to do is just really meter that stuff out as much as you can. And that helps a lot with insulin resistance. Um, so, you know, just to kind of recap, sticking to a lower carb diet, but focusing heavy on the veggies, um, having your plate be 25% protein, half uh, non-starchy veggies, and then the other 25%, some healthy oils and some starch. And then, you know, trying to limit yourself to around 30 grams of carbs total per meal is also a good thing. You know, it's also another good way to look at it. If that's more helpful, you can do either or, or combine. So, uh, I'm not opposed to insulin resistant people eating fruit. I think you have to be, um, you know, can't go crazy with it. So a serving size, I I like to stick fruit in the snack category. So I often like to do a snack between lunch and dinner. And uh, I like to do like maybe half of a green apple, kind of a lower glycemic fruit. So the um, berries and uh, green apples are your best types of um of low glycemic fruits. And I kind of like to stick to those. And they also are really packed with nutrients, especially berries. Um, there's a lot of evidence that eating some berries every day is really, really good for you. So I like to have a snack right around three o'clock in the afternoon for most women. And that seems to help prevent, you know, um, energy lulls and, and maybe blood sugar swings. I find that if you eat like this very consistently, um, you stop having these blood sugar swings and so it's much easier to, um, you know, your, your, your cravings aren't all over the place and it's much easier to, to feel balanced about things and to maybe even not need snacks. Um, and in insulin resistant PCOS, it's often better to avoid snacking, um, because what we want is we want as much time in between meals as we can for our body to go back to, to kind of bring those insulin levels back to normal. Um, so, you know, that gets into another question that I often get about insulin resistant PCOS is, is it a good idea to fast? And my, my thoughts on fasting, uh, are really dependent on the person. If it's just pure insulin resistant PCOS 
and we're not trying to work on fertility and we don't have any underlying adrenal issues, then fasting is probably okay in in small doses. So um, maybe, you know, during the first half of the cycle, doing some skipping breakfast, um, maybe, you know, combining to just one meal a day sometimes is okay. I would never do anything where it was like set in stone every single day I skip breakfast because the body has shifts and it has swings and like depending on what hormones are going on, you might be hungrier, you might not be as hungry and you should really listen to those signals. You know, that's when we get into intuitive eating and stuff and, and that often comes later for people because it's hard to intuitively eat when you don't know how to listen to your body's signals at first. And when your body signals are out of whack, right, because of hormonal imbalance. So so I think it's important to be really careful with fasting. Um, gen- in general, if you are a cycling woman, like if you're still having menstrual cycles, you're not postmenopausal, I don't recommend it um, in the traditional sense, like of intermittent fasting. Like I don't recommend just having one meal a day or, you know, skipping days of eating. Um, However, if you're postmenopausal, that that changes. I actually think fasting can be really beneficial if you're postmenopausal as long as you don't have adrenal issues. And for anyone, as long as you don't have adrenal issues, it's something that you can experiment with and see how you do on it. Now, what I do recommend doing is stopping eating pretty early in the evening. So at least by 8 o'clock, you know, at least three hours before you go to bed. But, you know, if that's not by 8 p.m., I'd recommend stopping by 8 p.m. Um, when it's dark outside you know, no eat. A good rule of thumb is try not to eat when it's dark outside. Obviously, I know in the winter time that's a little bit difficult, but especially during the spring and summer, try not to eat when it's dark outside, past eight p.m. Um, and what that does is that gives you a nice long uh, break from eating overnight, and that's actually technically intermittent fasting. If you stop eating at eight and you don't eat again until eight, that's a 12 hour fast. Um, and that, you know, is the first stage of intermittent fasting. So a lot of people don't realize that they're actually intermittent fasting if they just stop eating at a certain time during the evening. And that I recommend for everyone because I think it's really, really important to have that 12 hours. Um, but as far as like going further, pushing it harder, you know, sometimes as women, it's actually not as beneficial for our bodies to push our bodies harder. Um, sometimes it's actually better to to be a little bit softer and to kind of like listen and relax into things, to not push ourselves so hard with exercise, to not push ourselves so hard with diets and starvation and all that. And we actually can see the benefits of nourishment. Um, so I think the bigger thing to look at is not so much what times am I eating and how many calories am I eating, but to look at you know, how am I nourishing myself? What am I adding to my diet? The hardest thing in the world for most women with PCOS is eating enough vegetables. It's just not our strong suit. Most of us were not raised that way. Most of us have, you know, some altered like taste buds and cravings and that's normal, but it's also something that we have the responsibility to change, right? And um, even if you have to start out, like when I was in college, I used to have to like wrap a spinach leaf around a crouton and dip it in honey mustard in order to eat it. Like even if you have to start that way, hey, it's a start. It's somewhere, you know, you can you can train yourself to like vegetables. And I'm living proof of that because I hated them. 
I did not eat vegetables until college. Like, and even then it was, it was a few years at least before I really started like actually trying. And now, you know, I'm 32. I eat vegetables every day. I love them. So, uh, you know, it's, it's something that you, your taste buds change over time and you can teach yourself to like them. So often when we think about diets for these health conditions, we're thinking about what are we taking away? What are we removing? Um, how, you know, how many carbs are we removing? What we really, really would be better thinking about is what we're adding. Because if we're adding good quality protein and we're adding lots of non-starchy veggies, it's going to be very hard to go up over our carb limit. It's going to be very hard to go over our calorie limit. Um, and it's going to be hard for that to not make a difference in our metabolism because it's good for us. So, um, focusing on the balance of your meals, maybe a snack with some fruit. Uh, and I like to have that snack with a protein source. And sometimes that protein source can be as simple as like some nuts, um, you know, or it can be like some deli meat or something like that, you know, something very simple, but always with a protein source. If you're having something with carbs, always with a protein source is a good rule of thumb. And then just being really diligent and really careful about avoiding added sugar and even avoiding, um, uh, you know, natural sugars. I would stay away completely from any kind of sugar, even honey. Um, the only kind of sweeteners that I'm, okay with for the metabolism and PCOS, um, you know, on a regular basis would be like stevia and monk fruit. And, uh, you know, I reserve the right to change my mind on those as well. But xylitol, erythritol, swerve, uh, coconut sugar, honey, um, can't even think of any others off the top of my head right now, but all that stuff Sugar is sugar is sugar. Um, and, and xylitol and erythritol are known to disrupt the gut microbiome. So I don't recommend those regularly. Be really, really careful about that stuff. I know it's really tempting to just look at carbs and to be like, well, I can have swerve and I can make these little muffins out of coconut flour and they have like five carbs and, you know, I'm, I haven't gone over my limit. But that's... That's kind of getting out of that concept that we want to really be in of like eating whole foods, eating real foods, um, and not relying on those kinds of sweet things anymore. We really want to retrain our taste buds. So getting as much of that sweet taste out of our diets as possible helps with that. It's hard. It's a hard adjustment, but, um, but it really does help change the way you taste food. And so if you've never tried it, I recommend giving it a try. Um, staying away from sweet drinks as well. So like sweet, sweetened drinks, especially like sweet tea, sodas, things like that. But also being careful about things like Crystal Light or, you know, these other like uh, Mio or the things that you kind of like squeeze into your water. Um, all that stuff can be very, very disruptive to the gut microbiome in the long run. And it's just not good to have them regularly. Now, that's not to say that you can't have that kind of stuff like once in a while, um, or, you know, a couple times a week, but generally with artificial sweeteners, we want to limit ourselves to having them only like a couple times a week max because they're, they're not great for our gut. And if we mess with our gut, then we mess with our insulin balance, you know, so it feeds in a circle. So eating whole real foods, 
limiting our carbs, focusing our carbs on non-starchy vegetables and not on like little, you know, Atkins bars or frozen meals or little, you know, muffins and things like that. Um, that's kind of where we want to be. That's the sweet spot. Whole real food. Is that easy? No. That's the hardest thing in the world, and I recognize it. Um, and that's why I lose a lot of people when I start talking about diet because people are really interested in knowing the, you know, they want to hear like the why, like why these things happen, why we, why PCOS occurs, um, what the strategies are to fix it. But when it comes down to actually implementing the, the best strategies, I, that's where I lose people because what I ask people to do is not easy. It doesn't have any workarounds. It doesn't have any ways out. Um, you know, you can't, um, rely on prepackaged things. It's, it's a, it's just, you know, eating good quality protein, eating good quality vegetables and, um, making that the basis of your diet, you know, and everything else secondary. So, uh, that, and that's hard to do. And I recognize it. Okay. Well, we have talked now for about 40 minutes on that. So, uh, we are going to cut off for today and I, um, I will talk next week about strategies for the inflammation types. Um, and there will be more talk about insulin resistant type as well with those, especially if you have some issue, you know, have some things that kind of combine with the other types. So I hope that that helps. Uh, I know it's a little bit convoluted. If you feel like it's kind of going over your head or you're like, gosh, I'm really going to need somebody's help to implement this and to figure out what to eat and what to do, that's where my PCOS group coaching class is going to come in. So definitely stay tuned for that. That's going to be much more, you know, practical guide to doing this. And, um, and hopefully it will be very helpful, but I hope that this was helpful to kind of give you an idea inside the mind of a nutritionist when we're looking at, at this and, and yeah, um, if you have questions for the podcast, I love to hear your questions. I incorporate them into future episodes. So please feel free to send an email to an amber a day podcast at gmail.com. And I will, um, incorporate that stuff. If you haven't yet seen, I do have a Patreon community for the podcast and I would love if you guys would join. It's a way to support the podcast and, um, help us, you know, stay afloat, I guess. Um, but also I am creating like bonus exclusive content for my Patreons and all that. So if you want extra stuff that nobody else gets to see, that's where you join Patreon for. Okay, I'm going to let you guys go, but I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. If you learned something today or you enjoyed today's episode or both, I'd love it if you would leave me an iTunes review and share this with a friend. If this brought up a question for you that you would like to hear me answer, there is a Google form that you can use to ask me any question you want, and I might answer it here on the podcast. I do it all the time, and I would love to hear from you. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time.